here, thrill and hope. And when I think about things that are thrilling, right, perhaps for you and um, what's thrilling for you is you've found that thing that was on sale on Black Friday and you were just, you were just thrilled. Like it was that magical sale that it just came there and look, there it was, a 75-inch TV for $320 or whatever it was, right? Um, you know, I don't know, maybe you found, any parents out there, you found the perfect toy for your child, the one that everyone wanted, but only you could find. <laughs> How important was this toy back in the day, just so you could play Wii Bowling all day long? <laughs> uh, and ping pong? And what? Baseball? Oh, basketball. There's a basketball game? Missed that one. Um, you know, I don't know. Maybe for you it was thrilling, was exciting. What brought you great joy this year is you got your Christmas bonus from church or from your job. Isn't that great? So one-year membership. Uh, you know, parents, again, your, your children sleep in tomorrow morning till 9.30. You get to, to wake up. I don't know. I think about thrilling, you know, perhaps thrilling or you're, you're a thrill seeker, you like bungee jumping, um, you like skydiving, you like uh, roller coasters, the kind of exciting, you know, really exciting things. I don't even know if that's real or if that's just fake, but that is terrifying to me. Um, And then obviously, perhaps you're at that stage of life where the thrill is gone. Um, And how can we talk about thrilling and thrills and all that sort of stuff without Mr. The King of Pop himself, Mr. Michael Jackson right there, the thriller. But again, this, this, and, and I was thinking about this, about what is so thrilling about hope. Not, not Eucharist yet, girl. Hold on. Um, but this, 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 this beautiful song that we sing almost every Christmas, Christmas Eve, it was originally a French, it was a French poem that was written for a church that was, that was kind of having their opening service during, during Christmas time back in the 1840s. Um, it was translated to English in the 1850s, like mid-1850s. And this original kind of French lyric in this poem was that the entire world thrills with hope. Now, something that's happened that has the entire world elated, euphoric, thrilled. Uh, In Southern California, we use the word stoked, right? We are so excited, thrilled about something that has happened, right? Um, But what does that have to do with this word hope? Uh, I'll take you to another place. I'm going to take you to India in the, yeah, in kind of the, the middle of the 18th or the, 19th, the 20th century. There's a guy named Lebs, Leslie Newbegin. Um, Newbegin was a missionary from England to India. Now think about this guy's life. This is just a little side note. Newbegin leaves England in 1936, pre-World War II England. Travels to India, spends over 30 years in India, right, as a missionary, and returns back in the 70s. Talk about a culture shock. So Nubian has this incredible richness that he ends up, later on as he's living the kind of second half of his life, he begins writing and talking about these things. One of the things that Nubian reflects on on his book, uh, it's called The Gospel in a Pluralist Society, is he talks about how as he was learning the language, as he was trying to translate the language, he came across a stumbling block with this word hope. So he had a teacher, the teacher was a Hindu guy, and the Hindu teacher, he said, hey, how would I translate this word hope? How would I you know, make you understand that? 
And the Hindu teacher replies like this. Newbegin recounts this in his book. He says, um, he says, what do you mean by hope? Does hope mean anything? Things will be what they will be. I may wish that they turn out better than likely, but why should I wish to be deceived by my desires? So Newbegin, as he was thinking about this, later on as he's reflecting on it in, in England in the 70s as he's writing this book, what he realizes is that that kind of Hindu concept of like, what do we even mean by hope? And the English concept of hope were actually very similar, right? Uh, we might think of it like this. You know, imagine if you went to a birthday party and you blew out the candle saying, make a hope, right? Sometimes we think about hope as just like a wish into the future. You might wish that your team wins the Super Bowl this year. For me, that would be a very strong wish if my team won the Super Bowl this year, right? You may wish that um, there's world peace. You may wish that you get a million dollars, like all those things. Or we kind of have that determinism, like as, as the uh, Hindu teacher says, where things will be what they'll be. It just kind of is what it is. The universe has determined what is, right? Um, now, maybe I've used this metaphor before, but when I think about hope, I think of it a bit like this. Here's a picture from our little Christmas area from last year. And um, one of the things about hope is that when my children wake up tomorrow morning, right, they are hoping that there will be Christmas presents around the tree, right? Um, my children are not spending this entire month thinking to themselves, I, I don't know. I don't know if mom and dad got us any presents. I mean, we might wake up tomorrow morning and there might just be nothing. Like, we might not get anything, right? No kid's thinking about it. I mean, not, not no kid, but kids, for the most part, aren't thinking, like, when they wake up on Christmas morning, it might just be a tree, right? They have a hope, they have an expectation that tomorrow, when they wake up, that they will have presents. It's like a certainty for them, right? And this hope, we could say this, it's thrilling for them. It's exciting for them, right? What do they do? They write letters to Santa, right? They talk about it. They shake the presents if they're there, right? They're telling you about it. They, my kids, they get the, the toy catalogs in the mail, and they get out scissors and begin to cut all the toys out and paste them on a piece of paper. And it's all about the presents, the presents, the presents, the presents. They have that mentality that on Christmas morning is going to be what? Presents, right? And so when we think about, when we think about hope, there is a certain sense that as followers of Jesus, I don't know if this is too... We just live as, as like a child in December. We have that disposition. Children in December have a hope that on Christmas morning, Santa has come. The presence will be there, right? Now, there's this beautiful verse in the Bible, too, and it's written in Hebrews, and a lot of people think that the writer of Hebrews is actually a female. And so this writer in Hebrews, uh, she writes this beautiful verse and she pens it like this. Imagine this. She says, we have this certain hope, like a strong, unbreakable anchor holding our souls to God himself. Our anchor of hope is fastened to the mercy seat, which sits in the heavenly realm, right? As Christians, we would say this, that our hope is literally tethered. It's set in, in God himself, in the heavenly realms. Our children right now, their hope is tethered in about 
12 to 14 hours, depending how early your children wake up, right? It's tomorrow morning. Like everything is tethered toward that moment. Our hope as followers of Jesus is tethered into God himself. Now, what does that hope actually look like, right? So we understand that our hope is tethered in there. What does that hope actually look like? By the way, you guys are being really good tonight. Do you know that? Oh, that's what they're talking about? That was, that was the commercial break. Um, okay, I want to talk about hope. And here's the thing. I'll just end with this. This is my kind of, I hope this isn't, I, I've realized that maybe I've become a little bit of an anachronism pastor. Um, and I don't know how I feel about that. I need to think about that a little bit. But I was thinking about hope and how to define hope, how to put hope into a language that we would understand. Because again, hope for us, like, like what does that mean, right? Like what do we say? Like how do we need to define that? So when I think about hope, I, I put it in these letters which I would start here. I would start with the H being healing, right? Now, let's start personally. I would start right here with myself. And you could start right here with yourself. Uh, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Our propensity to break things. We break our moods. We break the relationships we care about. We break the attitude, our attitudes, promises. We break our own well-being, right? I think about all the mistakes that have piled up in my heart and in my soul, and in my life. And I understand that whatever is happening in here, I mean the heart, but you know, it's probably more up here, um, something is broken within me that needs healing, right? And I, I don't think there's anybody in this room who'd be like, nah, I'm good, I'm pretty much perfect, you know, like I've got, you know, this life thing, I got it. Like we understand that there's something within us that's just kind of, it doesn't fit right. There's things we're ashamed of, there's things we hide from, there's things that, if found out tonight, would make us run out of this door, right? So we understand that there's this healing, again, personally, that needs to be done. But then we think larger, right? How about if we think tonight um, about children with swollen bellies from hunger? How about if we think about the guilty, awkward distances between people of different races or sexual orientations? How about if we think about humans that are tortured by different addictions? Battered wives, ambulances, cancers, caskets, obituary writers. How about if we think about smog and extreme droughts or flooding, oceanic garbage patches, stories of corporate greed for corruption, exploitation of the environment for shareholder profit? How about if we think about um, e-waste, radioactive wastelands, where little children are poisoned with traces of lead, wars, genocide, nuclear bombs. There is a brokenness, not only here, but in our world at large, right? And you pick up the paper and you see it. And there is a sense that this needs to be healed. Now, what if, what if Jesus, or the, what the Bible claims, or Christianity, as it claims could heal all of that. You, this world, 
the mess that it's become, would that, would that or would that not be thrilling, right? The book of Revelation kind of ends with this, and I paraphrase this, but it's just no more tears, no more sickness, no more pain, no more hurt. Death is literally undone. The entire cosmos is healed. So we start, when I think about hope, when I think about what I tether my hope into, what I anchor my hope into, it's that everything will be healed, restored, made right, put back together again. Now, this takes a certain amount of optimism, doesn't it? Right? Um, it takes a certain amount of belief or faith. Sometimes the followers of Jesus, here's one thing we'll get accused of. We'll get accused of living in denial. Right? Because when you think about that list that I've said, and when I think about the things that's in my heart, and we think about, think about how terrible this world is, we are accused of living in denial, right? Well, you just follow your religion and your God and your Jesus and the world's falling apart. Like, what do you think, right? Um, there's this beautiful passage in the book of Acts where the apostle Paul has been arrested and he's in a Roman prison for, um, for preaching the word of Jesus, for preaching about Jesus, right? And so he's in this prison and it's about midnight and Paul and his friend Silas were at prayer singing a robust hymn to God. And the other prisoners couldn't believe their ears. Like, what, you're singing to God, the very God that got you imprisoned here, right? See, Paul and Silas either had something otherworldly at work deep in their soul, or, or he was in denial, right? I would say that hope is that otherworldly power that allows us to see the worst in humanity, and yet we shout, this is the great hope of Christmas, as we shout from the rooftops, the best is yet to come, right? So if you have this optimism, if you have this belief, this faith, this trust, that perhaps Jesus is going to fix and heal and restore everything, what I would say then is that it leads you to a certain amount of peace. Because you live with this optimism and this healing, and then imagine the settled presence that you would have within you, Right? Imagine the, the gravity that you would operate from deep in your being, right? Jesus even walked around this earth claiming this. This is what Jesus would say. Jesus would say, I leave you peace. It's my own peace I give you. I give you peace in a different way than the world does. You don't have to be troubled. You don't have to be afraid. When Jesus talks about peace, it's not just lack of conflict or people getting along. There is something about the peace of Christ that is a different I, just a different way to move in this world. It's just a different gravity from which you and I understand and operate. Um, one of my favorite quotes, and I think this is, I was sharing this with some other folks. I think this might be my favorite. This is like one of those quotes that I've lived with the past, I don't know, 15, 20 years. I think this might be one of my favorites. It's from a, a guy up from USC who is a philosophy professor that died a couple years ago. His name is Dallas Willard. And Dallas Willard says this, he says, because of God's competence and care, the world is a perfectly safe place for me, even though it doesn't always seem that way. Right? Even though when we look out into the world and we see the mess that it is and we see the brokenness and we see the way it's fallen apart, but because of God's competence and care, it's perfectly safe for you and for I. There's nothing to be afraid of, as Jesus says. One of the mantras that I've been repeating over the past couple years from a friend of mine, I live in the strong and unshakable kingdom of God. Right? 
Another author, Frederick Buechner, says that here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen to you. Do not be afraid. Imagine the peace. Imagine the settledness in your heart and in your soul if you really had that optimism, that belief, that trust in the healing and the restoration of all things. Right. So, if you believed it, you anchored yourself to it, and you built your foundation to it, the last letter here would be this E, would be endurance, right? Because anyone who has the optimism in this, anyone who has the belief, the trust, the peace about this, also knows that we are still waiting. God has not restored and healed and fixed the world. We are still waiting, right? And the endurance needed uh, is something that kind of carries with us. There are the difficult days, the hard days, the days when we want to give up, the days when we think that nothing's going to get better, the days when we tell ourselves, it's always going to be like this. I'll never change, right? And we need that endurance to keep believing that God is going to heal the world. Going back to that Christmas morning metaphor, I believe it's about like December 9th. Do you know what December 9th is like for a child? There's no presents under the tree. The Christmas tree's up, the decorations are up, the lights are on, you might be making some cookies, but when the kid looks under the tree, what do they see? A tree skirt, right? And they're just kind of like, well, it's like, like Christmas is like still two weeks away. I got a long time to go. I don't even know if I'm going to make it to Christmas. You know, maybe, maybe there is a present under there and they're just shaking it to see if they can figure out. But there is that sense that kids like, man, they're like, oh man, Christmas is so long. And you and I need that endurance, Right? We need that perseverance in the meantime because it's tough. Life is tough and there's still brokenness within me. There's still brokenness within the world and we need that endurance. Now, I got one bonus E. Um, and the bonus E here is that imagine if Jesus, imagine if Jesus did something. Imagine if he gave us something to help us, um, to help us, anchor us into that promise, right? Imagine if he said, you know what? I'm going to give you just some real common stuff, some real basic stuff that you can use, that you can take that will help you when you become weary and when you become tired and when you want to give up with your optimism and with your belief and with your faith, right? And imagine Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he said to his disciples, I am going to give you my body, my body will be broken for you that you can be healed. I am going to pour my blood out for you that you can be filled. And Jesus gives us these two elements. He gives us the bread and he gives us the wine. And we take them week after week after week after week because we want to be reminded, we want to have the endurance that as Jesus promised on that night thousands of years ago, that the healing will come. The healing in Christ, not only for me personally, but for this entire cosmos, the healing will come. And tonight as we take the Eucharist, right, what I'd hope to do, and I don't know if I've ever taken the Eucharist in this kind of way, because a lot of times you take the Eucharist, you take communion, and it's kind of this somber, real serious, you know, kind of you and Jesus kind of I want it to be exciting. I want it to be thrilling. I want it to bring you joy. 
Maybe you take it tonight with a smile on your face. Maybe you take it tonight with just, oh man, this world is going to be healed one day. About the same way your kids are going to feel in about three hours before they have to go to bed, right? They're all excited and Santa's coming. They're all. Maybe we really approach the Eucharist this way and we say, tonight we're going to be thrilled. The thrill of hope, right? This hope is thrilling that God will one day heal me, heal you, and heal this world. And we will remember that now, tonight, and forevermore. So we'll do that. And, and here's the thing about Eucharist too. You know, you might feel that you don't deserve it. You might feel that you're not close enough. You might feel, have all these emotions about Eucharist and, and your relationship. I would say that the table is open for people who are hungry for a little bit more faith, a little bit more optimism, who want to experience a little bit more of that peace of Christ. The table is open to come and, and receive that peace. So we're going to sing a couple songs. We're actually going to sing that song, O Holy Night, again. And at some point, if you guys want to, uh, take it on your own. You can take it with your family. You can take it with um, a friend or a neighbor. We'll take that Eucharist tonight as a reminder. As a reminder. As something that gives us faith, hope, optimism in Jesus once again. Let me say a word of prayer. <clears throat> How you doing, Johnny? Oh. <laughs> Lord, thank you for again this time. Um, you know, maybe there are some folks in this room that have grown weary. I've been ready to give up. And they think about hope. They really don't even have, they're, they're just kind of, it is what it is. Hope is just a wish. It's just nothing. It's just kind of a word. Um, and they're ready to give up. And yet, Jesus, you remind us that you were broken for our healing. Your blood was poured out for me to be filled for the peace of this world. Um, would you once again remind us, give us the endurance, the perseverance, the patience to live in this world as followers of Jesus. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.